0: Previously on Sent Away.
1: Rock. They just weren't prepared. Unfortunately, it was a huge error in judgment.
2: Why is nobody stepping up and saying there needs to be some protocol, some regulations, some... What the hell? Like, how could it get any worse? He said to me, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the
0: hard way, but you're coming with me. To this day, if I see people that even look similar to him, it stops me dead in my tracks.
2: It was really, really weird. They thought that that was therapeutic to use this as free labor and then somehow spin it as it being some kind of enriching
1: exercise.
3: They wouldn't clean for you or babysit for you? No. uh, This house or any other house?
1: No. I think there's definitely
4: a culture of guilt associated with people who have worked here.
3: Do you feel like the
4: state did everything it could, or...? No, I don't think I lifted a finger.
0: This is Sent Away. It's an investigative podcast from KUER, the Salt Lake Tribune, and APM Reports. I'm Jessica Miller.
3: And I'm Curtis Gilbert. We're digging into the story of a treatment center for troubled girls called Integrity House, and how the state government in Utah allowed it to stay in business for many years.
0: We're doing that because more kids are sent to Utah for treatment than to any other state, by a lot. So it's important that the places providing treatment are run safely, and it's the state's job to make sure that happens.
3: And before we get started, a warning. This is a show about children, But if you have young ones within earshot, you should probably switch to headphones. This episode deals with allegations of sexual abuse. There's also some swearing. This is our third episode. If you haven't heard the first two, you should press pause and listen from the beginning.
0: We started out by investigating how the government responded when a girl at Integrity House died in 2002. And when a former employee alleged it was violating the law in 2008. But there was a lot of stuff happening at Integrity House that the state did not know about. This is Episode 3, Blurred Lines. Like, how did did something like that even start? You probably recognize
3: Megan Kreider's voice there from Episode 1. She was in the cave when Kylie Jaquase fell to her death. Megan was standing right next to Kylie when it happened. Just an incredibly traumatic experience. But believe it or not, when I first asked Megan to talk about Integrity House, the first thing that came to her mind wasn't the accident in the cave. It was a former employee.
2: She's a very unforgettable person.
3: We've decided not to use the woman's name in this podcast for reasons that will become clear later. But back in the early 2000s, she became very close to Megan.
2: I don't remember how this came about or how it started. I, I remember that we would write letters back and forth. That's how we would communicate. And so I bet there was two boxes full of letters.
3: They kept the letters secret, sneaking around, passing notes. The employee was an adult. Megan was 16. And she found the attention exciting.
2: I think the first things that started happening were the letters started getting a little more and more, you know, crossing the line.
3: Romantic overtones started making their way into the notes they passed.
2: And she knew, like, here's the thing... (laughs) She knew she could get in trouble for this. Like it was. That's why we had to be so, oh, so secretive and and all this stuff.
3: And Megan says it didn't stop there.
2: I don't know exactly what is considered. I'm just being very honest right now. I can't believe what I'm saying all this. I don't know what is considered to be sex with another female, but anything and everything you can imagine doing with another female. Was done. So, I mean...
3: (sighs) And even after Megan left Integrity House and went back home to Texas, she says the employee stayed in touch, even came and visited her.
2: I don't know if I'm going to be able to look at you while I tell you this, okay? Because it is so...
3: Do you want me to turn off my camera?
2: No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, I have to, I have to get this. She. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm so uncomfortable. Because I can't even believe this really happened. She proposed to me underneath a tree at a park near my house. There, got it up
3: proposed marriage.
2: Yes. She had a ring and everything. (laughs) Which just makes me feel like I need to go take a shower, just so you know.
3: Megan thinks she said yes, but they never actually got married. The two lost touch, and then, some three years later, Megan's mom found the letters.
2: I don't ever remember feeling like she was mad at me because when my mom's angry, you know it. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I'm sure my mom talked to me about it, but we didn't talk about it a whole lot because I think those letters kind of said everything they needed to say.
3: They were like explicit or they were clearly love letters, right? Yes. Between you and an adult staffer. Yes. We tried really hard to talk to the former employee. Went to her house, called, texted, sent her a letter. She finally wrote back to tell us she had, quote, nothing to say. Daniel Taylor was her boss at Integrity House. He told us he remembered there had been allegations that this woman had some kind of inappropriate relationship with a resident back then. But he says he never believed it.
1: These individuals, young ladies, they don't want to be there They're angry. They'll say or do whatever they can to get out of the program or out of wherever they're at. But that wasn't the case here.
3: Megan didn't make any allegations when she was at Integrity House. She'd been out of the program for years when her mom found the letters. And we know that because her mom decided to take action. She made a report to the police department in Cedar City, Utah.
1: Did they ever come by and ask about it? Never. I knew nothing of it. Wow. I can't see any police officer walking away from something like that. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. She would have went to prison. Right. So there was no investigation by the police that you're aware of,
3: nor by Integrity House, certainly. No, no. Daniel's right. It doesn't make sense. But as far as we can tell, that's what happened. We have a copy of the police report. Megan's mom told the cops that an employee at a teen treatment program a six-minute drive from the police station allegedly had sex with a resident there, and the police couldn't find any record of investigating it. The employee was never charged with a crime, and that's why we aren't using her name or sharing identifying information about her. Megan says her mom also contacted Integrity House about what happened. And her understanding is there was some kind of out-of-court settlement. Her mom declined to talk to us for this podcast. And Daniel Taylor said he didn't know anything about it.
1: That would be something you'd have to ask, probably Farron or, or whatnot.
3: Farron is Daniel's older brother. He actually owned the business. Yeah. Hey there! you? no. Uh, my name's Curtis Gilbert. I'm reporting at American Public Media. thank you for Farron. Is that, that
1: you? That's me, but I'm busy right now, guys.
3: Okay. He wasn't very happy to see us on his doorstep. Farron knew we'd talked to Daniel earlier in the day.
1: I know you've been with my brother.
3: Yeah. And he told us he just handled the back office stuff for Integrity House. Payroll, legal, things like that.
1: I don't really have anything to say. What happened down there happened down there. All I ever was was the, was the businessman. That's all I ever was.
3: I had a just one question maybe could can help me with. I knew I didn't have much time with him. So I asked about the situation involving this former employee. And when I said, Daniel told us he wasn't familiar with it.
1: Yes, he was. He was. He told you about it.
3: No, well, he... You know darn well he did. Well, no, he said he, he wasn't aware of, like, the family of a kid threatening a lawsuit or something like that or anything like that.
1: That's been a long time ago. Uh-huh. A lot has happened over the years. Right. The attorney who actually handled that is it has passed away. Uh, and so you won't get nothing out of him. I'd love it if you did.
3: So here's what we know. Megan Kreider says when she was a teenager, living at Integrity House, an employee had sexual contact with her. Several years later, her mom found out about what Megan says happened to her and contacted the police. As far as we can tell, they didn't investigate. We also know Integrity House had heard allegations about this employee. Daniel Taylor says he didn't believe them, but his brother says a lawyer was involved. But after going through every document the state would give us about Integrity House, we found no indication that anyone told state regulators overseeing the treatment program about the allegations. There's nothing from the police, nothing from Integrity House, there's no mention of any investigation, and certainly no sanctions against the program's license. We also know that sexual abuse happens in residential treatment programs. In just the last three and a half years, state records show staff at 13 treatment centers in Utah resign or were fired following allegations of sexual misconduct.
0: Anecdotally, I would say that sexual abuse, whether perpetrated by staff members or peers, is common enough to warrant concern and to ensure that strong measures are in place for its prevention for our response to it.
3: Lise Milne is a professor of social work at a university in Canada, and she studies this issue. Professor Milne says one of the big things treatment programs can do to help prevent sex abuse is to constantly reinforce the lines between the staff and the kids they're caring for.
0: And these boundaries need to be clear in in policies, clear in regards to practice, need to be monitored really, really closely.
3: Otherwise, she says, kids can get hurt, and that damage can follow them into
0: adulthood. These are kids who are going to feel betrayed, who are going to feel shame. The impacts are severe, and they're long-term without intervention.
2: So do I think I was, like, in love with her? No. She was a good person. And, God, Lee, I sound so screwed up. I need to think as a mother with children how I would feel. I mean, am I making sense?
3: Yeah, and I appreciate you being willing to talk about this because it is so, it's such a mindfuck of a thing, right? Like
2: It, It seriously is. It is like... Holy—and I I feel—I don't feel good about it at all. Like, I feel embarrassed because, uh, honestly, just being really honest, there's a part of me that, like, although I was a teenager, I can't say to you that I didn't know what I was doing or that I felt like I was being pressured or— I mean, I I can't say that to you and that be the honest truth because I feel like that— I egged it on just as much as she did, but again, how horrible of a person does that make me? Like,
3: it doesn't make you a horrible person. It's not. Yeah.
2: I mean, I was obviously I was sixteen. I was old enough to know better, and I, I made these choices. But again,
3: she was an adult, and it's not just about their ages. Megan was in a treatment program. She wasn't free to leave. And the employee had power over her. It's definitely on her. No, and it is. Like, you know, there are lines that the staff are not allowed to cross. Right. Even if the kids want to cross them. Right. 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 You know, like, and that's a big one right there.
2: Those lines were, without a doubt, I mean they were crossed, yeah, I mean, it it was pretty bad.
3: And it turns out, there were other lines being crossed at Integrity House. In a moment, our reporting partner, David Fox, looks at the blurry boundaries between the Taylor family business and the Taylor family.
4: Hey, it's David Fox. There were a lot of Taylors involved in Integrity House. Of course, you remember Daniel, the guy who ran the place. His wife, Zelda worked there too. His older brother, Farron, was an owner. And a couple of his younger brothers worked there as well. And here's something we almost couldn't believe when we first heard about it. Several former employees brought it up.
3: Hiram, from what I understand.
0: Daniel's younger brother, Hiram.
3: He married a girl.
0: Married one of the girls.
3: Shortly after she graduated from the program.
4: It's a little bit creepy for me. So we check this out and it is true. It was 2002. Hiram was 26, working at Integrity House. The bride was a former resident. She had just turned 18 a few months earlier. And what's even more astounding is that it happened again. This time, it was Clayton, another Taylor brother who'd worked at his family's treatment programs. In 2013, he also married a former resident. She was 18. He was 31. Both marriages ended in divorce. Daniel Taylor refused to say anything about them during our interview.
1: You'd have to talk to Hiram about it. And and Clayton as well. You'd have to talk to Clayton. But you know about that, obviously. You'd have to talk to them.
4: Neither brother would talk to us about it. Clayton's ex-wife answered a few questions on Facebook. She said their relationship started when she was 18 and working for the Taylors, not when she was a resident a couple years earlier. Hiram's ex-wife never got back to us. There's nothing illegal about these marriages. The brides were adults. They weren't getting treatment from the Taylors anymore. But those two Taylor weddings show just how blurry the lines at Integrity House had become. Daniel Taylor never married any of his residents. But he told us there's one former resident he considers his adopted daughter. She came and lived with him, his wife, and children after she graduated from Integrity House.
1: She's named her child after myself. Her mother brought her to Integrity House and pretty much left her with nowhere to go. And you took her in? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be seeing her this weekend.
4: Was there anyone else who, any other former residents who came and lived with you?
1: Yes.
3: How many do you think there were? I don't know. I uh, Like, quite a few? Or was it ballpark? Or, like, more than one or two over the years, maybe? I don't
1: know. Did the state know about that? Um... I think they were 18. So it wasn't the state's business. No.
4: We managed to find one of those other former residents. When you left Utah, did you ever expect that you would go back there?
5: (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, No. I did not.
4: Lindsay Bolum spent a year and a half in Daniel Taylor's programs. She started at his Arizona boarding school and then graduated from Integrity House in 2008. But when she went back home to Florida, the transition didn't go well.
5: My parents and I were just fighting. And my mom at the time said that she could not handle it anymore, that I had to go somewhere.
4: She really needed some help.
5: And I don't know why I was talking to Daniel. Or how.
4: And Lindsay says he offered her a way out.
5: And so I was going to fly out to stay at Daniel's house. And it seemed like such a better solution.
4: She'd live with him, his wife Zelfa, and their kids. In their big house in the fancy part of town, high up on Cedar Mountain. And she'd have her own room. She'd help out with their kids... And she'd also volunteer at Integrity House, get some work experience. On the flight to Utah, she found herself seated next to a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It turns out he knew Daniel from church.
5: When I told Daniel I had met somebody, you know, he was just coming back from his mission, he pressured me heavily to go out with this gentleman and Form of relationship.
4: Lindsay was seventeen, and she was not interested in dating some guy in his early twenties that she just met on a plane.
5: So then it started to become he was trying to set me up with like people in their thirties and late twenties and things like that. Previous staff members.
4: Lindsay wanted to leave, but she didn't have anywhere else to go, so she was stuck in Utah, living with Daniel, Zelpha, and the kids. And then, she says Daniel started asking her for massages.
5: Yeah, he would tell me to rub his neck like that it hurt, or his shoulders. And sometimes it was in front of Zelfa, like sometimes it wasn't, like... But And that's another thing that, like, when he asked me to do something and if Zelfa's around and she doesn't seem to have an issue, like, as a 17-year-old girl who is in somebody else's home, you're just going to do it.
4: But Lindsay says Zelfa wasn't always around.
5: Sometimes Daniel would come into my room at night when I lived at their home in Utah and he would rub my back. He would oftentimes ask me to rub his shoulders and his neck. I mean, it was something that I would never mention to Zelfa. I felt close to Zelfa, you know? I felt like I just felt connected to her. I've always felt a strong connection to females. So I definitely did not feel like it was something I was going to share, like, hey, your husband's coming into my room at night and... Rubbing my back. Like, (laughs) um, it was never said to keep secret.
4: Lindsay says she felt grateful to the Taylor family. But those nighttime visits were making her uncomfortable. We sat down with Daniel Taylor in the front room of that same house. Big couches, an elaborate stone fireplace... We told him what Lindsay said happened, and he denied it all.
1: No, no
4: way. She also told us that on occasion you would sometimes visit her room at night. No way. Here, no way.
1: No way. Uh.
4: Uh-uh. She told us that you would massage her back sometimes. No way.
1: Why would she say that? I don't know. I, I don't know. I find that a lot of times some of the um, ugly stories are disgruntled family members or disgruntled students. Maybe they didn't graduate the program. Maybe they did graduate the program. Maybe the parents didn't pay the bill, or maybe they did pay the bill. Um, but most of the time your disgruntled ones are ones that never paid their bill. <laughs> and so... So do you, you think, like, when when we hear these
3: negative stories, it's, it's disgruntled former employees or residents who have an ax to grind? Or...
1: I don't know. I guess when you're working with people with different cognitive and behavioral disorders, it becomes very emotional and um, construed one
5: way or the other. I wish I was lying. Like, I wish that that didn't happen.
4: And this thing Lindsay told us about Daniel Taylor and massages. We found similar stories from two other former residents and from a young woman who used to work at Integrity House. Each of them said Daniel Taylor either asked them for massages or asked if he could massage them. Lindsay says she isn't disgruntled. In fact, she doesn't even regret her time at Integrity House. She says she was on the road to overdosing or dying before she went there.
5: It probably saved my life, for sure. But there was a lot of trauma that came from it, a lot. Like, I would never go back. Like, I would rather die. But I would never take it back.
4: After about two months in Daniel's house, Lindsay found a friend back in Florida who let her stay with him and his family. She lives in Ohio now, a little ranch house she bought with her husband last year. She says she spends most of her time focused on raising her three kids and keeping their pet bunnies from fighting. She never expected to talk about this, let alone so publicly.
5: I feel like it's really important to get this story out. Like, I do feel like, you know, not that anything is going to come of it, but it is important to, like, voice what happened.
4: so much of what happens in Utah's treatment centers is invisible to the public, and even to the government that's supposed to be overseeing these places. We've gone through all the public records Utah regulators have on Integrity House, and as far as we can tell, they were unaware of just about everything we've laid out in this episode. The Taylor brothers marrying former residents, the girls living with Daniel, the ones who say he asked for massages or asked to massage them, the alleged sex crime by a woman who worked there, the one that was reported to police and apparently went uninvestigated. But we do know this. In 2010, some Integrity House employees sent a fax to the state office of licensing. They reported that Daniel and his brother Hiram were spending time with girls one-on-one, which they said was against the program's policy. And we know that a couple years earlier, another former employee had raised concerns about girls doing chores for Daniel and his relatives at their personal properties. State regulators missed the red flags. We can't find any record of them digging deeper into reports about the blurry lines at Integrity House. But in just a few years' time, those issues would become impossible for the state to miss.
3: Police in Cedar City arrested two staff members of a residential treatment facility after allegations of- They said,
5: okay, well, the police are here. I guess they just
0: want to look into a few things. All of a sudden, these people are coming and they're asking questions to all the girls. I felt like I had nothing to do with it. I mean, this is the kind of girls you're gonna question. Of course, they're gonna say bad things. Before, nobody asked me what my story was or what had happened when I was there. After all these years, I assume nobody cared.
4: That's next time on Sent Away.
0: If you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe to Sent Away in your favorite podcast app. That way you won't miss a single episode. And it'd be great if you'd write us a review, too. There's more to our investigation of the teen treatment industry in Utah. You can find it on our website. It's sentaway.org. Sentaway is produced by APM Reports, KUER, and the Salt Lake Tribune. It's reported by David Fox, Curtis Gilbert, and me, Jessica Miller. Data reporting by Will Kraft. Kate Kahan is our editor. She had help from Elaine Clark and Matt Canham. Fact checking by Betsy Towner Levine. Our web editor is Andy Cruz. Michael Sesser is the managing producer. Scoring and production by Nancy Rosenbaum with sound mixing from Alex Simpson. Engineering by David Childs. Original music by Roddy Nickborn. We also had help from our great intern, Hannah Ikromadine. Support for Sent Away was provided by Arnold Ventures, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and the Hollyhock Foundation.